AVXL episode 193 was recorded on November 16th, 2022. Black Friday deals, the latest laser TV shootout, and four-movie theater? A possible Harmony remote replacement, Monoprice has a Burley home theater in a box, a quick subwoofer check, and quite a bit more. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us, and thank you. Seriously, thank you. Thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Next AVXL patron hangout is on November 22nd. Be there. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I just want to say that subwoofers are, for the most part, in stock. Nice. We'll talk about that later. Uh, I, too. <laughs> I was laughing because I, I saw the deck. I was looking at the rundown, and you had typed in Laser TV Showdown slash Shootout 2022. And immediately, I'm in some weird battle scene from Star Wars with a voiceover that says, a laser, laser, like a certain Persian cat petting supervillain. What's... <laughs> Save us. Save us from my overactive imagination. What's going on, man? I take some <laughs> exception to the term laser TV, but what that effectively refers to is a usually a short throw or ultra short throw projector. And in the case of the term TV, it's usually incorporating some sort of app system built into it. So you have your built-in apps and or an actual physical tuner that you could hook an antenna up to. Anyway, the good folks over at ProjectorScreen.com and ProjectorCentral.com, I want to say this is probably a couple months ago, but they did a showdown slash shootout for 2022, incorporating all of the latest designs they could get their hands on. They invited Uh. in some of the very respectable and some of the best people I see out there currently who are not only experienced with projectors and reviewing them, as well as just home theater equipment. And they're they're living the lifestyle, they're reporting on the new products, and it was a good group they assembled to go through these and rank them in a side-by-side shootout. And the winner was an RGB, red, green, and blue laser, ultra short throw design from a company called 4Movie. Uh, 4Movie Theater, like you mentioned in our intro. It's really a projector I had not heard anything of until I saw over on projectorscreen.com that it not only popped up on their review section, but it popped up as a highly reviewed and one of the few projectors I'm aware of that currently supports Dolby Vision for your Dolby Vision disc content or streaming content from a source like Netflix. Whoa. Okay, let's pause here for a second. For anybody who is looking at a projector, Dolby Vision support, we have seen one projector that claimed to have Dolby Vision support that Dolby did not deny that it could have could support Dolby Vision. This is like the second projector we've seen that has, would you say, the contrast, the brightness to support Dolby Vision? I mean, this is unusual. It's more of just the function of a projector that's able to look at the video stream and decode that metadata that's part of Dolby Vision and to be able to adjust on a per scene or a per frame basis of that video content the overall light output of the projector in order to get the best looking picture possible out of it. Uh, Whereas with your traditional HDR content, the content itself has a fixed luminance in a sense in terms of the range of light that the display is allowed to play around in. And one way we've seen many, or a few at least, of the more premium projectors nowadays optimizing Mm -hmm. that picture is to have something like a dynamic tone mapping system 
where the content is looked at by the projector or displays also have this as well. Many premium TVs will incorporate uh, dynamic tone mapping. And it's a way of basically taking content that may have been authored at a standard well beyond the capability of a modern display. Say like it was authored on a pro monitor that could do 4,000 nits. And there currently isn't any display that really is effective in the home theater space that can do that kind of light output. Tone mapping allows you to take that content and actually map it very nicely within that rated performance of the given display system. So you're you're not just blowing out your highlights or you're, you're not sacrificing any more than you absolutely have to in order to make that content right. fit. And the nice thing about a dynamic tone mapping system is it'll work for something like HDR as well as any other HDR format, uh, including like HLG or something like that, to just eke a little better image quality out of it or to simply ensure that it doesn't exceed the performance of the projector itself. So uh, the other way around that is simply to have content that contains that metadata, a la Dolby Vision content, and then have a projector that's actually compatible with it. And the other thing is that not only did this projector from 4Movie win uh, the overall rankings, it also has a great street price. I want to say about $3,000 for a projector of this quality for a true wow. red, green, blue laser projector, three separate laser diodes producing incredible color saturation. That's really my favorite thing about the potential for a red, green, blue laser system is the fact that you can have very saturated primary and secondary colors. Comparing that to the, the standard used in HDR video production for color, which is BT2020, this can actually exceed that by uh, up to 107% of it, which is impressive to say the least. And I've seen other projectors like this that can do similar performance, namely the Samsung LSP9T that earned a fourth place award for this particular comparison. It was okay. I enjoyed my time with it when I had a chance to calibrate one recently, but as they pointed out, it had more laser speckle than the other projectors in this competition, which can be an Kind of annoying, especially when you're dealing with pure laser light sources like these projectors are capable of. But that Samsung is another example of a projector that is providing just impressively saturated colors for doing really nice reproduction of HDR content. The second place winner in that contest is the LG HU915QB. And their comments on that particular projector, which it's a fantastic design, but it did prove more challenging to calibrate compared to some of the other contenders. It also lacked the color saturation of true RGB laser designs that we've just mentioned, but it did minimize the speckle. Uh, in this mm -hmm. case, if you look at the specs for that LG 915QB, it does say it's a three laser system, but it's actually using a couple of blue lasers and a red laser, and one of those blue lasers is paired with a phosphor material to create the green channel. So it does have three separate light sources for doing RGB, but it's not using a green laser like the other two projectors we just mentioned. And I'll be sure to put a link to both of the articles that cover the shootout and the results and their test setup because they get into daytime performance, darkroom performance, and HDR darkroom performance. And it's a nice roundup and honestly kind of surprising of how close the top three projectors really were in terms of the overall grading. I don't think you really are going to have a bad experience with any of these projectors, but seeing something like that four movie, that four movie theater projector uh, with its RGB laser design and its short throw laser design, 
just coming in at a great price point and offering features like Dolby Vision support is impressive. Could part of those three projectors being so close in performance be because they essentially have a lot of the same guts inside? Those top three projectors might all be effectively laser projectors with a short throw design, but the differences really came out in terms of the effective contrast they could develop, be it uh, how much light they could output versus the, mm-hmm. the black level or shadow detail. That's where some distinct differences occurred. Also for day and nighttime viewing as well. That's another area where you had some that were uh, better than others, to say the least. One thing that did jump out to me across the board with all of these projectors is that they might not be the absolute best in terms of a gaming performance or the lag of a video input signal if you're trying to do like uh, Twitch gaming or something that requires very good timing in a sense. All of these projectors had well in excess of 30 milliseconds of delay, which isn't excessive, but it some of them uh, actually crested upwards of 60 milliseconds as well. And that's where you could probably start to notice it. If you're looking at projectors specifically for a 3D experience as well, only one of them actually had 3D support built right in. And it was one of the lower ranked ones at that. 3D's dead, Rob. Just accept it. It is. It really is. I see 3D brought up in almost every review still in terms of does it support it or not. But I'm really wondering if anybody actually does use that function or desire to have it back. I think what happened is a lot of people who review a lot of projectors get a lot of flack if they don't mention whether or not the projector still does 3D. Because that is basically, if you are into 3D, that is the last place to get 3D support. (laughs) Understood. (laughs) Or was. And again, I'll link those articles. And it's good to take a look at, especially their chart where they list all of the different things they were testing for and the different rankings as they occurred. Uh, They did a pretty darn good job, I think, of having a variety of content, uh, different Mm -hmm. scenarios in terms of the viewing environment, as well as being able to quickly go through and see some of the the, the quote-unquote notable features of each projector, including the street prices as of at least a couple months ago. It's pretty wild to see the testing configuration because they essentially have one, two, three, four, five, yeah, all seven, all seven screens set up, all seven projectors set up. You can see people looking around, you know, walking around and looking at stuff. It's a pretty fascinating... uh, it's a pretty fascinating kind of look at what's going on there. It's a good read, too. Nice. Um, not that you can take anything away, but it's 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 also kind of amazing to look at some of the shots. And this is not a legit kind of testing opportunity, but the difference in the black levels in this one picture they take gives you an idea of how much you know things can vary across these platforms. It's good stuff. And just subjectively, that's one thing I find that projectors in general, laser projectors in particular, have the most difficult time doing, at least compared to some of the uh, lamp-based projectors that I've seen, Mm -hmm. is that black level. You generally can do better black levels easier with a lamp-based system than you can with a laser. So that is something to keep in mind when shopping. But again, check out those reviews and that shootout result and enjoy. It's a good good read. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Black Friday. Indeed. I think you're going to be on Daily Tech News Show next week talking about the best Black Friday television deals. They're everywhere already, aren't they? I think so. I think if you are shopping, it is now a good time, if you know what you want, to actually get out there early. Much like we talked about last week, especially with the way pricing and listings can change if you're online shopping in particular. 
I am currently working with a particular budget and screen size of about uh, $4,000. And what can I do with that $4,000 to get like the biggest, most impressive screen I can possibly put into a space? I basically came across the QN90B from Samsung. That's their best 4K TV for 2022. This thing easily spits out 2,000 nits or more of quantum dot color goodness. I'm looking specifically at the 85-inch version, and it is seriously discounted right now on Amazon, at least. It is currently at a sub-$2,800 price tag, and for an 85-inch screen that has that kind of performance, granted, $2,800 is still $2,800. It's not in everyone's budget, but for a screen that size with that kind of performance is really just something that makes me smile to see things like that even available. Now, there is a QN95B uh, compared to the QN90B, and it's nearly identical to the 90B, save for a slim OneConnect external input box, which could be advantageous to your particular setup if you need all the, the inputs and the connections to the TV in a separate device that's linked to it via a nice slim cable. One other Samsung TV that currently is catching my eye and really has me tempted to pull the trigger on is the S95B. That is their Quantum Dot OLED that was introduced this year for the first time. And it's only available in 55 and 65 inch screen sizes. But that 65 inch version is currently a hair under $1,800, which is a nice discount compared to where that initially launched at not too long ago. And on the LG side of things for their OLED technology, I, again, I'm looking at the larger sized screens and that 77 inch C2 OLED Evo television is currently a sub $2,500 display. I wanna say the 83 inch is just a hair under 4,000 as well. The things that jump out and impress me so much about the C2 currently is uh, one, they calibrate beautifully. I worked on one the other day and it was just a fantastic experience. And it proved to be brighter than all the previous C-series TVs that I've worked on as far as OLEDs go oh, from nice. LG or others. Uh, it was noticeable. Even I was like, that looks bright, and it measured bright. A brighter compared to how it was. And they're using a composite fiber frame system now with this latest C2 version of the television that can reduce the weight of the TV by anywhere from 20 to 47%, depending on the size of the screen. And that can make just for an easier setup. I'm always appreciative when the uh, the weights come down a little bit, yet you're maintaining performance. And while I'm going to stop right here with these suggestions for some of the bigger, more premium TVs out there, don't forget there are brands out there like TCL and Hisense doing terrific things for $1,500 or less for really big screen TVs. Or if you drop down a series within either of their top tiers right now, you're getting something for a terrific value that would have been two, three times the cost a couple of years ago. Hmm. Nothing wrong with that. No. Okay. I'm just going to say this up front. The downside of our next story is that this is a Kickstarter project. The upside to this story <laughs> is that it looks like there's finally an interesting looking replacement for the Harmony remotes that Logitech shut down. Uh, Flirk, F-L-I-R-C, is the company Skip. One Remote Infinite Possibilities is the name of the device. Well, I mean, Flirk's been around for a while, right? This is not a new company, but this new remote is actually the thing to think about. The Skip 1S Universal Remote Control by Flirk. And the setup looks actually kind of spectacular. 
that's what I'm digging. You don't need to connect this to a computer and program it, although that was kind of a nice feature when Harmony had their massive database and customizations right. available right online. Still do. Still available. This you can do right from the device itself. You do not need a cloud or an app or a subscription of any kind, which is pretty nice. The only downside really that I'm seeing with this product is that there is no Bluetooth or infrared blaster support. So if that's something you depended on for your particular home theater setup, that is not offered here. It does have the three activity buttons that can be programmed to, you know, do like a macro style function. If you're looking to say like close the screens while the TV gets powered on or the projector screen comes down and the room is prepared accordingly, you can do it. It is a Kickstarter project. It is coming. Let's see. They're saying fall of 2022. Well, hold on, right? The This is a Kickstarter project. There's eight days left in it out of our, as of our recording day of 11, 16, 2022, they've got $68,980. All their goal was only $500. So this was pretty much getting made period. Um. <laughs> Indeed. They're showing estimated delivery dates of February and March of 2023. Yeah. Looking pretty good. Pledge US $42 or more. And you have the Kickstarter special Skip 1S remote. And yeah, February 2023. Ships only to certain companies. There's uh, there's only 1,939 left <laughs> out of 2,000. So it's good. I'm actually, I'm probably just going to go ahead and sign up for one because... I know Flerk's made some really impressive uh, Raspberry Pi cases. And uh, I got to say, the whole setup where, you know, the buttons panel that shows up, the configuration on that, the fact that the entire database is built into the remote, I'm really curious about this. And current pricing looks to be about $45. And if you want to buy them in bulk, you can get that price down to a little bit less than that for sure. So I'll I'll be curious to see when this is a... an official product that folks can actually just visit the website and pick up and not have to do it through Kickstarter. But either way, yeah, eight more days, it's coming. Yeah, and you know it does have a app like a Windows or a, a Windows or, or Mac app you can use to configure stuff. All right, more on this. We can get our grubby little paws on one. But shout out to Flurk for making something. You know this is interesting. This has potential, people. Hey, quick shout out. Uh, iFi Audio has done some spectacular gear over the last few years. A couple of my favorite headphone DAC experiences have been out of this crew. And they've done sort of, for the last few years, they've had this sort of retro 1950s, mid-century modern kind of series of designs that have offered really good performance, measured performance uh, for reasonable prices. They just came out with something that's a little bit different. It is the Uno by iFi at $79 and it is essentially a USB powered it's, it looks like sort of a somebody hit the shrink ray on one of their headphone DAC slash amps good specs uh, if you're curious about uh, DSD or MQA it's got support for that built in my one thought on this right when I look at the little you know the volume knob I might want to see be a little bigger because I have giant gorilla paws right and you know, I'm always nervous with smaller uh, headphone amplifiers, whether or not they'll be drug off your desktop <laughs> by the weight of your headphone cord. Um, it's like 3.5 by 3 by 1 inch. So it's fairly small, extremely portable. 
ES9219 Saber DAC chip, Quad DAC Plus technology. Basically, it's got all the super cool stuff. Um, I will probably never listen to MQA again unless I have to. It's also got support for DSD-256, which is fantastic, except there's no music I really want to listen to that is available <laughs> in DSD. But it's there. It's got it. Yeah, it's got it's got all the cool specs. Uh, mostly though, um, like I said before, iFi has been doing some really good work at affordable prices. This drops the price down. Uh, you know, if you like that whole mid-century kind of space ray thing, I think it's the I, design appeals to me. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what it uh, measures like when people start doing that. It also has preamp outputs, so there's a bunch of interesting stuff going on with this, and that price is super compelling. So shout out to iFi for doing their best to bring quality at a good price. Totally. That could also be a perfect companion for something like a PC or a laptop as well. Yes, absolutely. I think absolutely. that would just be wonderful. Because then you could have not only your headphones hooked up to it, but you could also drive a set of external powered speakers or uh, send it out to an amp or something like that, which would be cool. No, that's a really good point. The man speaks truth, people. Uh, Kef has a big old sale going uh, from now through the end of the year, December 31st. Or until supplies last. And uh, LS50 Metas are, again, they've been, the price dropped on those recently, but they're at uh, $1,299.99. The R3s, the R5s, the R7s, the R11s, the Q350s, the beloved Q150s. The q 150 these are all on sale. The Q150s are sale for like $300 a pair. And then starting on Black Friday, the LS50 Wireless 2 is going to be $500 off at about uh, $2,300 for the pair through the end of the year, which on one hand is spendy, but on the other hand, uh, one of the reactions, one of my favorite reactions to the original LS50 wireless was a gentleman who had it in a room side by side with his $50,000 system. He and an acquaintance of mine were sitting there going like, I'm not really sure why I spent the other 48 grand. One of my favorite favorite comments on a product. Um, the, I mean, these are also. I, I got to say, the LS50 wireless is incredibly well thought out. Um, unlike most professional studio monitors, it has streaming built in. It has a subwoofer output. Right. It is designed to be used in. You know, it's consumer friendly. There's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with that. So shout out to Kef for dropping the prices down. And if you have been pining for some of their speakers, this is a good time to take a look at that. I love the styling and the color, or the color beautiful. options. Yeah, it's very desirable. There's a used set of those blue ones up on mm. usaudiomart.com. Super cheap. Mm. <laughs> uh, something I, I missed earlier this year, I should have given a shout out to, uh, Epson's got a new gaming projector, the Home Cinema 2350 Smart Gaming Projector. Uh, 4K Pro UHD technology, which is another way of saying uh, it's, you know, it's a 1080p does pixel shifting deliver 4K, which in my experiences with Epson's products is a perfectly acceptable way to do 4K. Uh, would I like a native 4K projector? Yes, I would also like ponies and unicorns. Um, this one also sports HDR10 and uh, in 1080p resolution with 120 hertz refresh rate. Uh, and uh, I think they're running 2,800 lumens out of this. That's the, the number they're they're talking about for color and white brightness, which means it should be fairly bright if you have a lamp on in the room. Compared to the projectors we were just talking about from that shootout, the right. input lag time on this particular projector that's optimized for gaming is about half of what we were just 
dealing yeah. with with those other more home theater centric projectors. Also, it looks like that projector, uh, the Epson twenty three fifty Home Cinema twenty three fifty, is currently fifteen percent off, which is kind of yeah. nice, about two hundred bucks off the list price. So, woohoo, even better. Nothing wrong with a price discount, people. No way. Yeah, three chip, three LCD, which means you shouldn't have any of the rainbow effects. Um, 1080p resolution with 120 hertz refresh rate or yeah. the 4K. If you do it, if you try to do the 4K Pro UHD, if you run 4K into it, it's going to be 60 hertz. Android, Android TV. TV yeah. is built in. Bluetooth audio support? That's kind of nice. Some good stuff going on there. And it's got a 10-watt speaker built in. Okay. <laughs> right for the game console. Plug it in and have fun. Yeah, and uh, I don't think it has horizontal lens shift, but it's got like plus or minus uh, 60% vertical lens shift, which makes it much, much easier to mount this and get it centered on your screen. So At least you can center it to the screen, and then you have a little flexibility in terms of shifting that picture up or down, yeah. which is better than nothing, definitely. Hey, uh, another product I want to give a shout-out to. I uh, haven't heard it yet, but... A lot of good things were written about its predecessor. This is the SVS Prime Wireless Pro sound base. It's a two-channel, 150-watt, like a 300-watt, 150-watt by two Class D power amp. It's an integrated amplifier. Um, some of the updates from the original sound base, HDMI ARC input, uh, Apple AirPlay, and Chromecast support. They've got a really, really slick LED display on the front that gives you track artist source information along with six custom preset buttons which essentially you know if i'm reading this right it's you you can basically hit one of the buttons on the front and launch your favorite podcast or a playlist or a streaming station basically it's single touch content launch which i am in love with as a concept um because to walk up and hit a button and have something play uh there is nothing wrong with that physical remote is included in the box and uh, they updated the spotify connect support for the device um, $700, a lot of functionality packed in for that. No distortion or ohm rating on the, on the power rating on that, but I'm going to hope it's, uh, you know, 1% or less and four ohm, eight ohm would be even better. Cause that means if it'll drive a four ohm, uh, speaker, it'll be doing really good. I'll see if I can get more information at SVS on that, but shout out to them for doing a very interesting looking device. That's beautiful looking actually. I dig yeah. that. And if you're do, trying to do just a simple stereo setup and you want, you know, the networked features as well. That would be perfect. Yeah. Really would. It's good stuff. SPS has been doing some really, really good stuff. I mean, they, their subwoofers are top-notch. And while I'm catching up on audio, let's give a shout-out to Monoprice's Monolith M518HT. It's a THX certified 5.1 home theater system in a box, 800 bucks, uh, on sale right now for 600 bucks. There's five satellites. Each of them has a 4.5-inch uh, midwoofer with a 20-millimeter silk dome tweeter-mounted coaxially. Each of these satellites is essentially a six by six by six inch cube, so they're not going to overwhelm the room you put them in. And then those are packed in with an eight inch powered sub. You'll need an AV receiver to drive the satellites. The sub self powered. Um, the the speakers themselves are four ohm, eighty hertz to twenty kilohertz uh, plus or minus three dB. I will say you're going to need a healthy AV receiver because these are eighty one dB sensitive, which is to say they are not particularly sensitive. You're going to want a, a little bit of in your AV receiver. Right. The measurements I'm looking at this are fairly flat. I would 
guess plus or minus three or four or maybe five, probably three or four dB from like 30 hertz to over 10,000 hertz and then kicks up a little bit between 10,000 and 20,000 hertz looking at the chart. Um, THX certified, which I don't know if I've seen in forever, if ever, on a home theater in a box, but uh, looks interesting. Uh, gives you an option. Uh, some really good speaker designs have been coming out of Monolith from the Monoprice crew. And uh, $800 currently selling for $600. Oh. And that got me thinking about subwoofers. RSL has speed woofers in stock. Uh, shoes, entry-level VTF2 Mark V is in stock. SVS has subwoofers in stock, including some nice uh, sale prices on some of those. And a lot, if not all, of Monolith's, uh, Monoprice's Monolith subwoofers are in stock. A couple of them are on sale. Compared to last year, when I think pretty much half the universe was out of subwoofers um it seems like if you need a subwoofer for the holiday shopping season you're good to go or two yeah or four buy in pairs just do it all (laughs) (laughs) oh i have two terrifyingly large subwoofers in my house nice conversation for another day i would like to add a second one to my setup (laughs) yeah i've trying to think of how many subwoofers I have in my basement right now because there are two separate systems with two separate sets of subwoofers. Gotcha. I'm going to shift subjects just in case uh, my beloved spouse is listening and she hasn't figured out that I have entirely too many subwoofers in the basement. Big shout out to our patrons. Patreon.com slash AVXL. That is the place you can go to support us, join us in Hangouts, uh, message us directly. And we're trying to figure out some new and exciting stuff to do for you on there. So if you have things you want, do us a favor. Uh, email us, ask at avxl.com or message us on Patreon. And we're going to try to get all that revamped before the end of the year. But a quick shout out to some of our longest running patrons. We started with our very first patron. We're up to 2017, May 2017 now. And a shout out to Shannon Harrell, David Carlin, Jeffrey Goldman, Earl Black, and Eric Klein, who have all been our patrons for quite some time. And we really, really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that's a patron. I mean, thank everybody for listening. Indeed. But even more thanks to our patrons because y'all are helping pay the bills and help us keep this thing going. Next patron hangout for our $10 and $20 patrons. And, uh, you know, we opened it up at the end to additional patrons. It is Tuesday, November 22nd, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. And hopefully we will see you there. We got a classic question from Howard. And people keep asking us this because... Quite frankly, a lot of the operating systems and a lot of TVs kind of suck. And uh, Howard emailed us at avxl.com. He says, I've been casually looking, not having any luck finding a 65-inch TV or bigger that doesn't have smart features. From my understanding, a lot of the apps included with smart TVs don't update as frequently and are also more prone to bugs. Would love to hear about what's out there or, if nothing else, which lines have been better about keeping their apps up to date. Thanks in advance, Howard. I was laughing when I read this because I actually recently bought an extremely dumb TV, but it's not really a TV. It's digital signage that is designed for control by an external box. Hey. Uh, You know, (laughs) it is not HDR. It is a 1080p 32-inch display um, that's going to replace one that was uh, removed with prejudice uh, from our old RV. And I bought a second one because I got them used and they were so inexpensive. I'm like, I'm going to play around with this as a display and see what I can do with it. The digital signage option is an option. Man, legit dumb TVs that are 4K, support HDR10, uh, Dolby Vision, HDR10+, all that good stuff, um, are scarcer than hen's teeth. 
to use a weird and exotic country phrase of mm-hmm. my youth, there, it is almost impossible, if not impossible, to find it. In part because television manufacturers probably make more money off of telling people what you watch than they actually did off of selling you the television in terms of pure profit uh, or any profit. You're right. And also, most manufacturers pay for the space they take up in a Best Buy. I don't know what the deal is at Costco, but I remember like at one point being told what it costs to have a chunk of a skew, a chunk of display space in a Best Buy. And they're probably not going to make enough money to justify having it. There's just, there's so many complications in building additional lineups and additional or taking away options. I just don't see it as something that's really going to come back. Um, I agree, hundred percent. The chances you know, of you finding a TV without smart features built into it nowadays is next to nil. Yeah, I wouldn't even try to find one because it's going to be a disappointing display option, most right. likely. The easiest solution I can give to anybody in this predicament is to simply buy the TV you want. Forget about the smart features in it. Just get the TV, even if it is a smart TV, don't worry about that part of it. Just get the thing at the price that's good for you and get it home. And at least one time, connect it to the internet, update it, and then reset the TV and never connect it to the internet again. I say that, but... It is important nowadays to actually check for updates on TVs on a semi-regular basis. Connected occasionally look for a firmware update. (laughs) Yeah, like once a year. Or if anything seems wrong or quirky, yeah, that's a good time to go check for firmware updates for any particular home theater device, TVs in particular. You always see, especially with brand new models, things get corrected or fixed or tweaked to improve either compatibility or right. performance, or what have you. And again, it's like, uh, I would just do that link once, go through that setup, and then promptly reset the TV and go right back to just out of the box mode. Do not connect it to the internet again. And you should be quite thrilled with the uh, TV not bugging you as much or at all. This is all assuming, of course, that if I were a nefarious uh, TV manufacturer, I would probably just go ahead and enable Wi-Fi and scan the local networks anyway and just do it regardless of what the owner told me. But I'm pretty sure that's not going on. So, again, it's just uh, get your firmware updated. You could technically go to the manufacturer's website and download the firmware and manually upgrade it with a USB drive. But that might be more than you're willing to drag yourself into the process of doing. So, again, it's just uh, get that update, get it updated, and then just reset it and disconnect it from the Internet. And then you'll have a dumb TV. And it's that easy. I I will say that TCL TVs with Roku uh, seem to have excellent updates, in part because it is just a freaking Roku box built into a TCL television. Totally. That gives them some advantages because... One of the challenges is if I am streaming over the top, streaming people, and I have to, okay, I got to I gotta update an app because there's changes, and there's Roku, and there's Apple TV, and there's Android, and there's this and that and the other thing. The farther down that list your operating system on your television is, the less likely you are to get the update or get it in a reasonable time. Feel free if you work on that side of the television industry and you want to correct our misconceptions on this, do us a favor, email us at acidavxl.com or tweet at Patrick Norton or tweet at Robert Heron. But generally speaking, 
life is happier with a Roku box or an Apple TV box plugged into your television. Especially uh, <laughs> the more premium versions, the 4K models yeah. of those particular products, because they generally have stronger CPUs. And that's perhaps my yeah. biggest complaint about TVs with apps built in is that the CPU they use in most TVs is kind of weak. Click and wait, click and wait. And over time, as software is updated, the situation only becomes worse or more yeah. more frustrating. And that's where I would say, even if you don't have a 4K TV, get a 4K streaming product just because it chances are it's going to have a stronger CPU that'll take care of you over the long term of owning that product. We mentioned Morgan. We talked about Morgan last week. He was eyeballing those $800 Focal Bluetooth headphones. He loved uh, your response. I oh, saw good. he replied either on uh, patreon.com slash ABXL or he emailed us directly. I forget which. Forget. Thank me. you. Well, most of the goodness in that response was due to Rob's kind editing because I, I went on a loop from hell and he brought it all back into something that I think functions. You know, the, the, the short answer being the law of diminishing returns, i.e. as you spend more money, you get less and less out of the, the money you're spending for audio quality gets really brutal. I thought <laughs> it was you about. making that great point that that particular product had full-time uh, noise cancellation oh. that couldn't be disabled, at least not easily. Yeah. And that, to me, is kind of surprising in any modern product. There's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of products you can't turn off active noise cancellation. Conversation for another day, because uh, mm -hmm. uh, Morgan wanted everybody to know, <laughs> he says, my wife, like Patrick, is on a few years cycle of trying to get vinyl going and he wanted to give us a heads up on the victrola stream carbon works with sonos turntable uh give us a heads up on that he says while i fully support her hobbies having to make a new setup for her vinyl i.e you know get an amp and a phono preamp and a and a turntable he says it's a bit of a chore and since we run a predominantly sonos house i am happy for this product so uh victrola.com is a website i have no idea what the performance of this is like but it's uh it's pretty slick because essentially it allows you to stream digitally to Sonos. There is nothing wrong with that, uh, especially since the Sonos amp, which is a fantastic digital reproduction device, um, does a analog to digital conversion off of the RCA jacks on the back, which are not nearly as uh, clean as the digital running digital straight through that. That kind of snugs up nicely to Morgan's question, which he says, uh, I am rocking a predominantly Sonos house, but we are fully Android. Am I pretty out of luck when it comes to tuning? I've been tempted to buy an old iPhone simply to tune, but can never justify the price for just one stupid app. And he says, I used to have a friend that would come over with an iPhone who did the tuning setup on the system, but that was before the Arc. He says, it feels a little silly. I wish I could do this without an iPhone. And there's some really good room tuning that the Sonos system could does, but it requires an iPhone because there is a relatively limited number of iPhone models and they know their performance. They've calibrated essentially the microphones on those and they use those so you can walk around the room moving your iPhone up and down as it chirps noises and then it tweaks the audio coming out of the Sonos to give you the best possible results in the room the Sonos is in. And there is no way to do that without an iPhone, which I know drives Rob nuts. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have an older iPhone that I still keep around for that very purpose. However, if I didn't have access to that and I went out looking for a device, yeah, you're spending three to $400 on something maybe like an iPad mini or just an iPad from last year and that would get you by where otherwise yeah it's kind of a bummer that they don't even have like a hundred dollar product from Sonos 
that you could just use to tweak your system. Or I have to believe that it, it can't be that specific to iPhones in terms of the tuning, the true play tuning that's available and that it, it has to be an iPhone product. I'm not the engineers at Sonos. Maybe they really do not want to support another platform in terms of their true play software. However, it's like when it comes to just having a microphone that can detect a chirp or the tones required to actually do things like measuring the distance and delay of a speaker and to help with the room tuning. It just seems to me like Android users are kind of at the bad end of that deal. I don't see them changing this anytime soon in terms of the iOS support for their true play tuning feature. So either look up an old iPhone that might be for sale or break down and spend 300 plus bucks for the most affordable iPads that they make perhaps would be the only ways I could say you can get around that. As far as I can see, I see no indication that they plan to uh, make their true play tuning feature part of the Android ecosystem anytime soon. You can dream. I can. I sure can. And I'm going to hold on. I'm clutching my uh, iPhone 6S as the precious device it is for my specific uh, Sonos setup. And I do Just keep appreciate running it. it and- Till the Sonos app won't run on it anymore. <laughs> totally. And speaking of which, I did just notice that I believe yesterday they pushed a brand new update for your Sonos software. So if you are rolling the Sonos, it is now up to, I think, 14.19 or somewhere thereabouts. And it's uh, worth running the update feature on your system if you are so inclined. Thanks for the heads up. Yeah. Jerry Martinez tweeted, hey, man, building a pool. The pool company wants to sell me this $4,000 outdoor TV. It's going to be in a covered patio. Should I just buy a regular TV for like 500 bucks and replace it in a couple of years if it goes out? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, TLDR, it's really easy for a proper outdoor-ready TV to cost a fortune. It's also possible to make a really inexpensive TV survive just fine out there. The trick is, I mean, you're basically saying your patio is covered. And if your patio is covered and this isn't out at the edge where the rain can get to it, your television should be just fine. Totally. Also, too, it's direct sunlight. Is the TV in its future location would be in a place where the sun is going to directly shine right onto it and, quote unquote, cook that poor thing. Uh, Some outdoor TVs are specific to that particular type of design where they have additional cooling functionality built in to help protect them as such. And they also have IP ratings as well for things like dust and moisture. But again, like you said, if it's going to be under, say, a cover of some kind, not directly exposed to the sunlight or the rain or the snow coming down on it, no problem. Go ahead and spend whatever you (laughs) consider to be an affordable amount and enjoy Yeah. This is where I love smart TVs for this reason. It's like, hey, uh, a cheap Roku TV suddenly is the product that, hey, plug it in and connect it to your Wi-Fi and you can stream your favorite sources, uh, be it sports or movie programming or whatever. I mean, this this is one of those classic. It really depends a lot on where you live. It depends a lot on what kind of TV they're offering up. Um, You know, quality outdoor TVs where they've actually done a bunch of work you know, with the device to make it ready for all sorts of terrible situations, especially if it's designed to operate in direct sunlight, 
you can spend a lot of money on that. I mean, uh, ratings top pick is Samsung's the Terrace, right? And when you look at their protected sunlight version is like five grand, I think for a 75 inch television, then it's what? $12,000 for the direct sunlight version, which is actually right. less bright, but has a whole bunch of functionality built into it so that it will operate you know, when it's 104 degrees out without melting down. <laughs> totally. And I know I have no doubt that the, the terrace from Samsung is a wonderful display, but that right. is a premium price tag. I mean, it's, it's IP 55 rated, which is nuts. Yeah. It's protected against dust and it's protected against quote, low pressure jets of water from all directions. Limited ingress is permitted. So you can get a little water in it if, if there's, you know, jets of water spraying at it. IP66 basically means it's totally sealed against dust and strong jets of water. IP55 is pretty serious. I think it's a large part of the expense on that terrace. These are not inexpensive televisions. Uh, ratings did a really good collection or an article, the best outdoor TVs fall 2022. We were talking about this, uh, you know, about whether or not you really need a five or $10,000 outdoor TV. If you're not worried about your kids spraying it with a hose and it's not sitting out in direct sunlight in Arizona in August, probably not. I would not worry about it. There's a lot of really good, there's a, a TV Shield, Storm Shell, there's several other. These, these are two particularly high-rated enclosures, weatherproof TV enclosures, where, you know, and I would also, if you're in a hot part of the country, you know, they, most of these vendors offer versions that have cooling options built into them so they can run fans and pull air through there and keep it from melting your television. You summed it up as like, get the cheap television and, you know, run it till it dies. <laughs> totally. And it generally is going to run great. Uh, a couple of things to consider. One, that ratings article for outdoor TVs is great. I earlier in the show mentioned that QN90B, that wonderful Samsung TV that literally can do 2000 plus nits of light output. That TV is their next choice right below uh, the Terrace TV from Samsung. You consider a TV like that that has an exceptionally good and a reflective surface uh, as far as its screen goes, and it dumps out light like no tomorrow, and it has a nice wide viewing angle. And then for a step down from that, you could go with something like the Hisense U8H, which is about, say, 1,500 nits or more of light output, but not the great wide viewing experience you get with something like the more premium Samsung. When I have visited companies in terms of their TV testing in horrible environments, typically it's going to be something like high humidity or high temperature. They actually do test these TVs for that particular uh, use case, and they, they have to make them work properly. The mm -hmm. one thing I would say is if you're going to go with regular TVs, and I, I wouldn't care if this is, you know, a $13,000 terrace TV or your favorite value TV you're going to be putting up outside. If you live somewhere where it gets below freezing, I would disconnect it uh, during the that time of the year, just in case, say, there is part of the TV that stays a little bit warm to where it's, it's capturing some of that moisture internally and could possibly develop something like an ice ball or who knows what. Mm. In that case, I would just simply unplug it until the season comes around again and then plug it right back in and enjoy. TVs generally are pretty robust. At least the more name brand models are. They test them under pretty arduous conditions in terms of making sure they're going to work in a variety of places around the world, depending on what your, your average weather might be. And that includes things like high temperature, high humidity, 
And uh, you mentioned, though, one scenario where it could just be a nightmare, and that would be near the ocean or somewhere you're mm. dealing with a salty air, which is just right. generally going to destroy all electronics eventually. That would be something nice where it would be really cool to be able just to hose down the internals with some alcohol <laughs> or something, but I would be more inclined to spend even less then and just simply replace the damn thing every few years or when it finally corrodes out. Right. Because there's just no saving. Uh, oh, what could you do? I guess you could do some like maybe dielectric grease or something. Or <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, stop. no, I just the, the Don't easier get my brain going on yeah, this. <laughs> the easier solution would simply be to uh, spend less, and then, like I said, as long as it's not going to be in the sun, and perhaps unplug it for the middle of winter, uh, I think you're going to be okay. Keep it out of the rain. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> What are you watching, man? What am I watching right now? Actually, I spent this morning watching some of the fun YouTubers out there right now who are all going crazy over Call of Duty Warzone 2.0, which launched this morning at 10 a.m. Pacific. I think the internet is technically bogging down right now. It is insane <laughs> seeing the sheer number of people uh, that are out there playing and enjoying that new title. It's just an update to a classic franchise. And... I can only imagine how many people called in sick today or just took the day off. And if your neighborhood seems a little oddly quiet, now you know a possible reason that why that is. <laughs> Man, I've been watching uh, The Peripheral on Amazon TV. Uh, it's their interpretation of William Gibson's novel. I'm really fascinated by this because most of the movie adaptations of William Gibson's work I've seen have been kind of heartbreaking, unless you're particularly into camp, in which case there's a Keanu Reeves one that's spectacular, but it's really good. It's uh, If you're familiar with the novel, you won't be emotionally traumatized by watching uh, The Peripheral, uh, and it's pretty. I like pretty video. <laughs> Love me some William Gibson storytelling. That sounds oh great. Goodness. Or based upon his work, for sure. It's good stuff. I'm very curious to see where it's going to go to and how it's going to get there. Um, yeah, I also got to sit down and finish watching uh, the Netflix version of The Sandman, but I've been listening to the audiobooks, which are fairly spectacular. But uh, discussion oh. for another day. Indeed. Hey, I also finally finished cleaning out my storage unit. Ah, I feel so good. But one of the things I finally found was my collection of audio CDs. And I needed access to that again because I was using an app called Perfect Tunes from the folks who do DB Power Amp. And that went through my collection and found a few tracks that could have potential issues in terms of how I rip them. And it uh, gave me a, basically a targeted list of specific nice. discs I should go back and revisit. And that's something else I'm finally going to get around to doing. Because I have heard a couple of tracks every now and then in the tens of thousands of tracks I have. Occasionally I'll hear one that's just like, okay, that doesn't sound right. And I, it's nice to have a tool like that where I can just go through and scan the collection. And it gives me some guidance in terms of where to focus my efforts in, in re-ripping <laughs> my collection. There's nothing quite like re-ripping everything you have. <sighs> which in my case takes up approximately six 25-gallon bins. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, man. It's a lot of work. Oh, my goodness. Hey, if you've got a question for us, do us a favor. Email ask at avxl.com. Or for your patron, you can message us on patreon.com slash avxl. Or just tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at avxl. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, 
Do us a favor, email us with your questions, your guidance, your thoughts, what you're curious about. We will do our best to answer it as quickly as we can. And uh, one more time, thanks again to all of our patrons. And uh, 22nd of November is our next Hangout. I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.